And you were a Marine, right? Well, you don't, you weren't ever in the past tense, right? You're once you're, you're always, one, you're, o- you're always one. Yeah. You were, you were an active duty Marine for, for I was, I was, I was a, I was a skinnier Marine at one time. I was a faster Marine. Um, I was a younger Marine, but yeah, I'm still one. I, I would just, old, you, just older you've grown, you've grown and are, and are a Marine forever. Yes. <laughs> yep. So, for sure. uh, I, I, I think I should do the Brian Monheiser, thank you for joining us. Um, uh, you are a, a man who's done many things over the years, and I think currently, currently, I think you're in, you're you have your own practice, um, and I think you work with Anthony, right? Anthony Calamito, is that? Is I that do. Correct? Or are you doing more than that? I don't want to limit you here, but I mean, I first met you when you were doing uh, geospatial and geointelligence. Yeah, when I worked for Boundless back when Red, when Red, your younger brother and I worked together. So right, so you um, worked with you worked you worked with the um, you worked with the uh, the crazier side of the Curry family. I think is the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think it depends. Oh, so I think... Like, oh. He said, "Say, say, what's up to Brian?" Uh, I just spoke to him this morning, and um, and he remembered he met you in 2014. I was like, "Hey, tell me about the first time you met Brian." And um, he said he he turned up at some meeting I think in Florida with like wearing like crazy shorts and flip-flops or something and you're like no it's, it's 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 even better than that so he was a package deal with ann johnson so when ann right. johnson came to be the new ceo of boundless she brought um red and, and she, she brought went Sh- on to she went on to qualys and she went on to microsoft and, yep, and so on. yep 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 but but we met so we were doing an offsite at some boutique hotel in miami and the, and the yeah and the pool was on the rooftop and there is Red, who I'm meeting for the very first time, and he is wearing white sweatpants, oversized baggy sweatpants, which is I which is think, his, one of his one of his signature things. Yeah, sure, sure. And the fact that they were white, he was wearing flip flops. He was wearing slides with socks on because I do remember <laughs> that. And then he had on a hat. He had a, a hat on and and some sunglasses. And he, I thought, who is this Joker? And he turned out to be one of my favorite people on the planet. Yeah, he's uh, so he had been with Ann and me briefly at RSA, and uh, they hit it off. Red's one of these people who like he'll meet you if he thinks you're a good person, he'll do anything for you. Sure. And, uh, and they, he had that kind of relationship with Ann at the time. So, and then then Red told me you got to meet Brian. He's like brother Brian, another mother. And I was like, yeah. And then so the three of us had a chance to work together uh, yep. when we did Cyber Reason Government. Um, mm-hmm. which was the subsidiary that was going to go to market with the U.S. government, which, of course, we're no longer doing. But uh, we had a chance to actually work together, and it was really great. Yeah, We did. It was it was brief, but it was but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so thank you for joining us. Um, I, I've been looking forward to this one because every time I talk to you, we always have fun, and we have a similar philosophy of always do the right thing, always pay it forward, you know, be a good human kind of thing. Um but I, I don't think I've had a chance to really explore your early days. And I know, for instance, I knew that you were an active duty Marine, uh, active duty Marine. Um, but I don't know. And, and I think you've sort of come in and out of cybersecurity over the years. It was never the center of what you did, 
but you've had a chance to touch it many times over the years. Um, so maybe you could tell us a bit about your early career and, and, and what made you the amazing person you are today. Not to embarrass well, you. Really. I was going to say, I was going to say amazing is, is very kind. Um, the awesome. The, yeah, the, the, it's fun. Literally. The, the, I, yeah, dust. yeah I, I have an interesting story and there was a time when I was embarrassed by this story, but now as I've gotten older, it's, I find it kind of humorous. I went to college um, like, like most people do. And I did good in semester number one. And then in semester number two, I found the fraternity house and I found bars and I found video trivia. And I found all these things that, that weren't school. And um, I started really enjoying those. And I got my first report card, you know, the old school style where it was the, you know, the whole carbon copy thing where you, you rip the edges off and open it up. And um, yeah, yeah. there was an awful lot of zeros in my GPA. I think it started with one and I think it ended with one. And I knew so that my parents. This is the corruption of Brian. This is, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So well, I mean, you... the fall from grace. The the. I don't know that I don't know that I was I don't know that I was corrupted. I was doing it to myself. But um, long story short, I go on academic probation, uh -huh. then suspension. I do this this routine for about three years. Suspension, uh -huh. probation, or probation, suspension, probation, suspension. I'm duping my parents and sending home fake grades to appease everybody, right? It's still all going oh, good. Oh my. Yeah, yeah. Well, long story short, it makes it about three years. I kind of, I get caught. You know, your parents right? may see this, by the way. I just put it out there. Oh, I don't, well, we're, we're past all that. That was, There was a rough time, right? Um, but but I, um, I came home at about between year three and four. Nobody was very happy with me and nobody was super happy to have me staying there. So I went and lived with my Uncle Sam. My Uncle Sam is your Uncle Sam. He's everyone's Uncle Sam. I knew that I needed to go in the military and grow up a whole bunch. Um, I wasn't dumb. I wasn't incapable of being successful. I was just, I wasn't ready to do those things yet. And um, so I joined the Marine Corps. You need seasoning. Yeah. Well, and that resonates with me. Yeah. When I was picking, when I was picking which branch of service, there was nobody in my family that was that had been in the Marine Corps. Um, you know, my grandfather was career Air Force. Um, I picked the one that I thought would be the most miserable, that would cause <laughs> that would cause the greatest change in the shortest period of time, and um, it's the greatest decision, was. greatest decision I've ever made. Right. So went in, did boot camp. Um, you know, I, I did all the things I was supposed to. I that that world fit for me, and it made sense, and it was easy, um, and and with some structure, I did really really well. Um, while I was in boot camp, so prior to going to boot camp, everyone takes their ASVAP test, right? It's the. That's actually going to be one of my next questions. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's basically an aptitude test. What are you capable of doing? Can you barely tie your shoes? Are you really, really good at math? Um, Can you I know, make a joke there about shooting crayons? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Crayon eating. Yeah. The whole nine. Um, and I had scored really high in my ASVAP and they essentially said, hey, you can have any career field you want. Um, and fortunately, I had, well, I didn't listen to my parents a lot from 17 to 22. I did listen to my grandfather. And he kept saying, hey, if you go in the military, make sure that you pick a job that's transferable into the civilian world. He's like, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with being a grunt, but you don't see fire teams of guys walking through with guns. He's like, there's nothing wrong with motor T, but that will be your career. There's nothing wrong with, you know, doing food services. He's like, but, but find something that's 
that's transferable and, and it really has an upside. And so I knew that would be in the intelligence space. This is obviously all pre 9-11, right? So intelligence has been important to, to national defense since the beginning of time, but even became more so after September 11th. But in boot camp, I was guaranteed intelligence field. So O2. So as a as a basic enlisted Marine, you could be a geospatial intelligence analyst, you could be a linguist, you could be a um you could be a but there's a third one. Ryan, you, broke up. Up. Ryan, you broke up a bit. Could you repeat could you repeat in boot camp after that? <laughs> sure, sure. So so in boot camp, um, a gentleman came up in the middle of formation. They called me out of formation. The guy's got his clipboard. He's like, hey, how do you feel about geospatial intelligence as your career field? That is the specific thing you do inside the intelligence field. I didn't know what that was. Uh, and so I stood there. It's not in the name. I barely knew what it is. Yeah. Sure. So what was interesting was my senior drill instructor, a gentleman by the name of Staff Sergeant Patton, said, he'll take it. And so I didn't even pick this career that I've ended up in, right? It was kind of interesting. It was uh, it was picked for me. Um, but I've and always been kept. Well, you might have gone that route. Well, no, I was I was guaranteed intel, so I could have been an all source analyst. I could have been. There's different. There's different um, uh, intelligence disciplines you can do. Cyber, right? You can do imagery intelligence. You can do geospatial. You can do the, the whole nine. Um, and so I'd always been kind of a spatial thinker. I'd always enjoyed geography. You know, all the parts and pieces that that make up um, the geospatial world. And so special, special. Yep, yep. And so following that. Um, I went to school at Fort Belvoir, which is um, just outside of the Beltway or D.C. area. Um, went to school there for about a year. You learn geodetic survey, first half of the course. And then the second half of the course, you learn about, you know, geospatial information systems, all the the science behind what you do and how you do it. And what are the, the actual pieces of software that people have built to help you do your job? Did that for about a year. Ended up at Camp Pendleton, California, which was my first duty station. Um, was there about six months when I got an opportunity to go do what's called a MEU, M-E-U, which is a Marine Expeditionary Unit. It's essentially, um, think of a group of Marines and sailors being parked in different places around the world so that you're ready in a moment's notice. You've been trained for every possible scenario you can think of. You know, we joke that it's it's um, America's 911 force. We're just sitting out in the water, floating around the world, waiting for an embassy to call to have an evacuation, waiting for there to be floods or 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 volcanoes or something that happens where they need humanitarian assistance so you spend six months cruising around the western pacific um wow. doing that and i spent six months on the uss boxer um came home on the september 11th mm. uh, i was laying on the on the floor of the boxer waiting to take flights off and uh we watched the the uh world trade center get hit um Spent the next nine months doing avenues of approach for Iraq. We knew where we were going. We knew we were going to send, um, um, you know, elements of our DOD there. So we spent, you know, nine months looking at, um, you know, imagery and looking at vertical obstructions and anything that would impact uh, someone's route from drop-off point to desired target. Um, and then because of September 11th, because of having an Intel background, because of having a security clearance, it was not hard to find a job. Um, and mm. so I had all kinds of job opportunities um, waiting for me. And, and I took one of those uh, at my four-year mark. And that took me to be um, uh, an instructor at the at the college at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. So the same schoolhouse I went through as a Marine, I came back through and was a 
a civilian instructor, not teaching military, but teaching other civilians. And so that was kind of what got me out of the Marine Corps and into this geospatial world. Um, took me from San Diego to St. Louis, which is where I, I live just outside of St. Louis now. I did that because my entire family was in central Arkansas. So I wanted to be in close proximity to my mother and my grandmother. I don't know, want me to help move a couch, hang some Christmas lights, show up and eat food, whatever. Um, and I've been here now 22 and years. You can call the Marine Expeditionary Unit to help move that couch, basically. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, so I've been here um, since August of 2002. I worked in the NGA College as an instructor. I went and worked on the systems engineering and solution engineering side of things, not because I was qualified, but because I wanted to learn you know, why did we build what we build and deploy what we deploy and you know, how do we do it and you know, how do we determine requirements? And so I wanted to do that piece. And so that was a bit of a stretch. And then that led, led into a, a sales career. I was up giving a presentation about a, a, a program of record that we had been working on and a deployment of software and hardware. And in the process of doing that, um, the, the, there was a gentleman by the name of Mark Schultz who ran um, the intelligence business practice for Esri. Um, which is the world leader in, in geospatial technology and has been for, for many, many years, um, got up and said, Hey man, you know, have you ever sold? I'm like, I'm not a sales guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, yes, I'm, a, I'm, a I'm a practitioner, right? I'm a, and so he was like, no, you'll, you'll be able to figure it out. And so that then converted my career of being a practitioner, right? Being a hands-on guy to all of a sudden talking to people about what are you doing? Why are you doing it? What do you need? Why do you have it? What do you think you need? And so I've, um, I, I ended up in a sales career, but I've always kind of treated it as like a, um, you know, again, a, a practitioner. I want to be someone's friend. I want to be helpful. I want to see what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing it. And then maybe I'll recommend some things to you. Uh, and if those things are something that I happen to sell, awesome. If they're not, uh, let me connect you with somebody who does. And so that's what my, my career has turned into. Well, Brian, I'm, I'm going to, you know, this is not made as flattery, it's made as observation. Um, you've always had this combination. So I have a friend who, who talks about, quote, weaponized extroverts. Uh, and I find that I find that it's too it's too small a category because uh, you genuinely care about your customers. And, and I've seen you say this isn't right for you. And um, in some cases, and do um, you have a bond with your customers? Uh, I also but you, you have a not not only are you do you have a charisma, not only do you understand the pain of the customer. Uh, and do you care about the outcomes and stay with them? Um, you also have no tolerance really for people that just dodge around and they're just trying to like plant the product, get the money and leave. Like you have zero tolerance for that. And yep. as a result, your customers sort of know it. And, you know, you, you gave, I've heard you give advice. I've heard you talk because we did this with the cyber reason government. Um, you're very much about don't bury the headline. I've heard you say, right? Like bring that to the fore and talk about the, so what? Right. Like, and, and it, the, so what is not what, so what for the seller it's the, it, what, what is the big deal for the person buying? And if you don't have a big deal, don't bring it. Um, and because, and frankly, you know, you've built an excellent network through trust and this relationship with the customer and, um, you can be very self-effacing at times, uh, and, and funny. And I think people enjoy your company, but at the end it's that they trust you and they know you're going to solve their pain for them. And that is a natural thing you have. Yes, I think you've you've rationalized it, you've trained it, but you've I think you've probably had that all along. You know, it's it's funny. I I appreciate those kind words. I had a moment happen to me when I was on my deployment, where hmm. we had put together 
um, products for an exercise. And it was a SEAL team that was going to go out and do an exercise. And they get on helicopters and they fly somewhere. And I provided the HLZs and they get off on those HLZs and they have to make it to their target and they have to make it to that thing undetected. And I provided all of that, right? That was, that was my job. And when they went out and came back, he said, hey, man, I want to thank you for doing what you do because you're allowing me to be a husband another day, a father another day, a son another day, and a brother another day. And I realized the value of the work that I did. If I, if I wasn't doing it for those guys or, or, or gals, right, then, then it didn't matter. And I think that was kind of the one moment in my life where I realized, oh, this is about the mission, right? Nothing else matters, right? Maybe I want to sell the most stuff. Maybe I want to get my things in there. Maybe I want to be, you know, important for a moment. But that's um, that that definitely takes a backseat because you have those moments where you go, oh, it's about something way bigger than me. And I just I've happened to to live in a, a career field where it is about service, right? You're serving the country. You're you're serving the nation serving the war fighters, serving the people who go out and do the hard jobs. Um, and so you got to make sure you do a good job. And so it doesn't matter what you, what, what, um, uh, you know, narrative you're trying to push or what your, your motives are, they have to be the the right ones. And I've learned in doing that people always come back around and you, you get it tenfold, right. Or you get invited into, into meetings. You probably shouldn't even be it because like, man, he was really a straight shooter was a good dude. Let's just bring him yeah. in. Uh, and it just builds relationships, right? Which I think at the end of the day, those those things do turn in to um, revenue generating opportunities. If that's the thing that you're you're kind of judged by based on the on the role that you hold. So, so I I always felt a kinship around that because I, I'm the same way with cyber, right? I, I both am a practitioner and I talk to other practitioners. And I, like if somebody calls me and says I have a problem, I, I don't care. I drop everything for them. I have the sense you do too. Um, but the reason they want you in the room isn't just because of the things you sell. It's because you have a habit of mind that doesn't just cut to what's the value of the thing I'm selling. It's what's the core problem here and how do I solve that? Whether or not it's in my toolkit. If it is, I'm bringing it. And if it isn't, I'm going to help you see it. And they want you in the room for that. Not because you're the most technical person in the room, because of how you think about things. And you probably have friends like that, right? Jacob, did, does this resonate with you in your experience with Brian? Because you had a chance oh, yeah. to spend a couple of years there, and uh, I've been, I've been, I've been flattering Brian here. I'm pulling it out of him. <laughs> uh, was uh, that your sense too, or or did you think he was a terrible person? Basically, uh, yeah, I thought he was the worst. Um, no, I'm actually, I'm actually trying to work with Brian again. If it makes, if it makes sense for us, we we were talking the other week. If we're still still trying to figure out if it makes sense for us to to do anything again together, but yeah, I, I wouldn't come back and ask Brian to to help if I didn't think that he was a good person. I, th I think at the end of the day, and I, I try to tell my teams this and the people that either I manage or coach or whatever it is at the end of the day that almost no job really matters. It's the people that do everything, everything else, companies disappear, structures disappear, even governments disappear, right? When things, things change over time, but the thing that's always left at the end is the people and the experience you had with the people. Um, yeah. Brian, I, I think, yeah, is one of those people that you walk away from these experiences and you're like, yeah, Brian was a, a great person. Um, you mentioned mission, though, which I, I think something for the audience that might be really interesting is a lot of people probably don't understand the intelligence part of the world very well that are cyber people. Cyber people think of intelligence as yeah, IP addresses and domains and things like that. But intelligence is so much greater. Malware. 
right in malware or uh, apt dash something like that's intelligence to cyber people. But intelligence is such a broad spectrum, as you mentioned. I think it'd be awesome for you to share a little bit about what geospace does, a little bit more about yeah, what the missions are. And, and, and your take on it, yeah. Yeah, and, and how does it actually impact people? As you mentioned, it impacts people positively. But I don't think people probably understand the full process of what it is and what does it mean to be a geospatial intelligence person or officer or whatever it is. Oh, uh, and, and maybe secondarily, when and how did cyber touch it if it did? Because at some points that grew up. But yeah, maybe start with what is spatial intelligence? What is what is intelligence? Yeah. So so I think the the really cool thing, right, is that every single like if you if you took the words intelligence community, right, the thing that people think of, they go, oh, Jason Bourne, or the thing I saw on TV, or yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there all of those things do exist, and I think um, anybody that works in that space would tell you. Uh, it's certainly made to look more glamorous or cooler or different or or even more sneaky uh, than it really is, and it's it's not all of those things. But you have to give people a reason to to be interested in it. But at it's the all, end of the day, it's not on martinis, basically, and motorcycles. No, yeah. no, no, it's none of that. Uh, oh, for, we can not, just not, end now. That's what I was here yeah. for. So. Sorry, Jacob. Not, you're gonna find a new career path. It's... Yeah, that 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 ship has sailed. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we all want to get some derivative out of information, right? You want to know something about in your personal life, right? Who are my neighbors and are they good people? And, you know, do they have kids and where do they work? And I mean, there's things you want to know about people and things and places because you're trying to kind of complete a story and at least inform yourself, right? Um, we do the same thing uh, on the, uh, in the intelligence community, right? We need to protect our country, we need to protect their assets, we need to protect um, our military secrets and tradecraft and all those other things. And in order to do that, right, we have put people in organizations and um, uh, and um, disciplines in place to do that, right? And, and so, like I was talking about, there are a bunch of different people that fall in those disciplines. There's your human intelligence, there's your cyber intelligence, there's your geospatial intelligence, right? There's all these different things. Um, and it's just kind of your flavor of the job, right? And you kind of have to put all of them together to, to tell a story. And so, you know, that's kind of been my career. On the geospatial side, the easiest way to say it, it was explaining the battlefield, right? Like I go back to that, to the, to the SEAL team example, I had data and I had software that when I used it correctly and in the right order would help me find um, helicopter landing zones, right? I needed to know the soil type. I needed to know vertical obstructions. I needed to know vegetation. I needed to know slope. Right? There was all these different things that I had to know because you can't just fly a helicopter wherever and land it wherever, right? All those other factors would come in. And so you had to take that data and you basically had to say, hey, show me everywhere in this region that doesn't have vertical obstructions and vegetation and poor slope and bad soil. And so that's how it would come up with those. Right. And I would give, you know, uh, a, a commander some choices. Hey, sir, ma'am, here's what you're going to go do. Here's why you would go do it. Here's the the pros and cons of each of these. Um, and it was all the way down from the guy who lands and then he's got to get to the target. Well, you got to go to the target without being detected. So how do you do that? You got to know, uh, you know, where you can, where, where line of sight is, right? From the target back to where you're, how do I navigate my way there, way there staying out of the line of sight? How do I avoid, avoid choke points, right? I can't get myself down in a valley 
where all of a sudden I'm stuck and there's no way out if I get ambushed. And so those are the types of things that we did in, in the geospatial intelligence world. But I think one of the things that's been really cool and this this plays into to your guys' world too. I think there's two intelligence disciplines that cross cut everything. One's geospatial because everything has a, a place on the earth at a point in time. And I think the other mm -hmm. one's cyber, right? Cyber cross cuts everything. And I don't, and I, and I think there's certain specific things you can do with either one of those, but then they're all like, you could peel them apart and put lipstick on them and change them into a different complete configurations. And, and, and people would see themselves using it. Geospatial and cyber both have elevated so much because technology has, right? When I got into geospatial, you had to have a Linux based machine. You were basically hammering out, you know, command line prompts to build the things that you're going to go build. Well, over time, things become GUI driven. Over time, you get things like Google Earth. Over time, we get things like smartphones. You know, everyone has the globe in their pocket now, right? Like you don't, you just open it up and it takes you wherever you want to go and tells you whatever you want to know and shows you pictures of things where, where you're, where you're going to go so you can see before you go. Those are all of the things that we've done in the geospatial intelligence world. They're just now kind of at your fingertips. And, you know, my business partner, Anthony Calamito, who you guys know, um, he says geography is ordinary now because of because of that innovation right and we just you know you don't nobody looks at a paper map anymore nobody gets the random mcnally atlas nobody does i mean even MapQuest, right where you actually used to have to read it so that you could then figure out to turn where now your car just you just follow the blue line right and so i think right uh you know in the geospatial intelligence world i always joke that geospatial is not geospatial we hmm. do the you go, go to walmart they use geospatial intelligence for routing of their trucks, right? We've got things that need to get there in this amount of time. How do we route those things? That's a geospatial problem. You have, you know, uh, one of my favorite examples where I live is we have the Metropolitan Sewer District. They are doing water runoff and all these other things that have a geospatial tie to them to help dictate how the bills change, right? Um, so all of those things are involved. Every single thing that we have now has uh, you know, a geospatial element to it. And if, if I'm not mistaken, I think they said the, the the geospatial intelligence market will be somewhere in the high $120 billion number um, by, by 2027, 28. So, but that's because it's in everything. That's reaching yep. cyber. So, so, so back in 2000, back in 2003, I brought to market a product that was way too early. It was called eTrust 2020. And it was part of computer associates. And, and we were talking about the convergence of physical and digital and, and my brother, I think, when he was working with you, was big on this subject. In fact, recently, like four years ago, he tried to coin the term uh, cyber and physical sci-fi. It, it, it still hasn't really taken off in that way, but the layers that get put on. So where's the human intelligence on top of that geospatial coordinates and time and space? The, the security of that, where is the cyber asset physically located that can then be targeted perhaps with a human or, or, or an asset like a missile, for instance, in the war zone, right? Um, all of this is converged. Now, when did that happen for you? When did geospatial start to converge with human and with uh, cyber or ELINT? Uh, and to what degree? I mean, you might've been there when you began, but did it, did it in fact get more integrated or is that just a perception I have looking, you know, from my cyber side? No, you're, you're spot on, right? We, we would work in teams, right? Where you would have your imagery guys, you have your geospatial guys, you have your cyber guys, you have your counterintelligence or human guys, you have your signals intelligence guys, right? 
everybody was their own specialty and we worked together as a team in order to, to, to do whatever we needed to do. Right. But over time, those things, again, I think it's innovation. It's technology has, has taken us so far. All of those things become so ordinary. They become so part of one another. Um, they're, they're, they're out of the box solutions now, right? Things just happen and you have different security measures that have been included in everything that's physically handed to you, right? Like it just, I think it just became, you know, again, to Anthony's point, it became so ordinary. You know, I don't, I don't remember ever having like that aha moment. What I did realize though, was there was a time where I felt like as a geospatial practitioner, I felt like we were kind of the secret society of the skulls. There's not, there's not many geographers, right? You don't teach geography is not taught in schools anymore. I mean, you might find it, but in general, it's, it's fused into a, into a social studies class, right? They slap a couple of maps around and call that geography uh, or something in the physical sciences. Um, right. But, but the but, geography itself was a, was a scorned discipline for a long time because it had racist connotations, uh, connotations right? For, for a while, it was like, hey, we're looking at human populations who live in colder or warmer areas. And for a while, it was a no-go. It was only about geology, really, and about political boundaries. Right. So that kind of had to do with it. But yeah, please continue. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, so the, so the, the fact that these things, um, you know, don't exist, I always felt like we were this weird kind of group of people where people didn't understand us, but everybody had to have us, right? Everybody needed us to help them do their job, but we, you know, we kind of hid in the background. And again, Google Earth, smartphones, the whole nine, I think it's just become so ordinary to people. You know, it's, it's funny. I don't think people realize how much goes into the data that's on their phone. People just open their phone and go, well, everything's everywhere. It's like, no, 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 no. It's not like, that's not magic. There's somebody, there's somebody who, who, who is well-versed in data management. There's someone who's well-versed in data science. There's all these things that go into making that thing do what it does. It's not, it's not magic. And I, and I, you know, because it happened so fast and everybody had access to so much, so much information, physical location data, the whole nine, I still don't think people really grasp the science that goes behind it's it. Something that drives me. That, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jacob. I was going to say, it's something that drives me slightly insane with Americans and their obsession so this could go to the obsession of like war fighters. Mm. What what are the things that there's an entire demographic and we're a unique country almost in this that just loves the the war part of like the physical part of running around with a gun, right? And, and there's this huge fascination oh, with it in our culture in America. And what so many people don't realize is all of these components that you just talked about that's really behind what they see. So you see something in a movie of a guy doing some mission. And they see the guy go into a room and they go, here's your mission. And then he walks out and does the mission. But there's been months, maybe even years in some cases, where there's been geospatial, human intelligence, cyber intelligence, maybe even some sort of offensive cyber campaign in many cases, which people don't talk about, that precedes a special operations these days. And no one knows about all these logistics and all these things and all the people hundreds often that go to a single operation that made a warfighter successful. Well, think, yep. about, think, about, think about refugee relief. Think about um, customs and immigration. Think about FEMA when there's a disaster that happens. Think about climate change and rising sea levels or heat waves. All this stuff is crucial. If you're planning a city and you're expecting an inundation of refugees, where do you put them? Right? right. Like, like we have, have that problem right now. Water? I mean, the concentration camp came about originally because people put them on the wrong side of the mountain in the Boer War. Like, if you don't have the geospatial information, you're not going to be able to keep the humans alive. 
yeah it's I, I don't know know where i was going with this point really but um i think the systems that lead to things and i, I guess that's why i do anything i've ever done career-wise the systems that build to a larger thing is what's really interesting to me it's all these components that build up to something and geospatial is such a foundational component that builds as you were saying even modern water delivery that people just don't know what the systems is that leads to what they get and what they do and i use the warfighter as an example because it's such an obsession in america but there would be no modern warfighter without geospatial there would be no modern warfighter without cyber intelligence mm -hmm. would be and people don't know that they think they can pick up a gun and go run down the street and they're the next James well, Bond. Brian, did, did did you ever do you do you have a sense because you know you know sometimes when we manage out the things that cause failures we take for granted those failures don't happen. So like, imagine mm -hmm. a helicopter going to a landing zone and it could, I mean, the latency and how you fly the thing, um, you know, gusts coming down the valley or that you were talking about vertical obstacles and soil and those sorts of things. If that information wasn't there, how many mission failures would there be because of it that you've removed from the table that people now take for granted? So I think uh, back, I don't know what I don't know what geospatial intelligence was like in World War II or Korea, for instance, or Vietnam. But is there a sense of how much, how many lives were saved, how, how many missions went better, both civilian and military, because of geospatial? And does it continue to? Is the Pareto getting that much better? I'm 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 sure there's countless, right? Just like with anything, right? You medicine starts to save lives over periods of time. People don't die from you know from from diseases that can be resolved. So so I'm I'm sure that it's that it's definitely improved over time. I don't know that that's ever been documented anywhere or that I ever saw that. But um, you know, at the end of the day, you can see real live results when you know you provide go UPS. There's another geospatial problem. I have to go deliver packages. If I can deliver all of my packages in five hours versus eight by the route that I picked, the number of turns that I make, the traffic mm -hmm. I deal with, the time of day, that is, I mean, it's not, you're not saving lives, but to somebody that's a life-saving, um, uh, you know, evolution. Oh my God, we, we do more every day than we ever did before. It's costing less money. We're being more effective. Our customers are happier. It's, again, it's not saving life, but people it think of those things. Organs. I mean, if you're delivering sure. a delivery service and it has to be the right temperature and fast, right? Uh, yep. You know, optopathing. Right. Hey, sorry, the kidneys got a bit warm. Uh. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, it's um, it's become part of um, everyone's everyday life, you know. But, but to Jacob's point, people don't realize all the hard work that goes into making that stuff work. People don't realize that when you're funneling data into any system, authoritative data matters. Stuff mm. that's, that's highly accurate matters. You can't just put whatever in. It's been funny, right? You know, the whole, the, the U.S. federal government and more, more specifically, you know, the, the, the DOD and intelligence community crowdsource data. There's mm. no way we were ever using that. Why? Because it didn't come from an authoritative source. And how did you know that it had all the right metadata? And how did you know that it was accurate? And well, you don't. However, there is some stuff out there that's faster and more timely and more accurate and, and more complete that was done by somebody who's not anointed, right? And you start to go, that's really good, really good data. But again, people have to realize that in order to make these systems work, there's a whole lot of, um, you know, 
quality control that has to happen for these things to work too, or else your map doesn't take you to the right place. It doesn't tell you that stores are open on the right hours. It doesn't tell you who rated drinks the highest at a bar, right? Like if someone didn't manage that data, it wouldn't show up on your little thing to tell you, oh, go to this bar that's three blocks away, got the best drinks, stay open till two. Well, you only know that because somebody made sure that that data was residing in a database somewhere that then fed that thing you're looking at. And I want to thank you, by the way, because I've heard stories that you have contributed many, many stars and reviews for good drinking holes in places <laughs> all across the country. Uh, I, I've, heard, I, I've heard about that. So, uh, yeah, thank you for, for your for your service, by the way. Anna. That is that is my that is my community service. <laughs> um, Speaking. Yeah, go ahead. Speaking of what, I was going to transfer and ask Brian a little more about what he does when he's not thinking about geo. Did I was you have just thinking question? that exact same thing. So when you're not doing the geospatial thing and and in and out of cyber and yeah. so on, what what is what is Brian's uh, what is his uh, de-stressor enjoyment that kind of thing? Well, it's funny, right? Uh, this is um, it's it's funny you you asked this question because this was my hardest year for this for the last sixteen years. When mm -hmm. I wasn't working, my life revolved around my child, right? I have a, a junior. I have a junior in high school. Yep, Grant. Um, Who was a pilot? Uh, at, was it sixteen? He did his first solo. He got his student pilot license at sixteen, and you can get your wow. private pilot at seventeen. So he soloed a car and a plane uh, on the very same day um, on May see, on May ninth. See, he's you're not helping with this not James Bond world, by the way. <laughs> so, you yeah, know, like. I had this vision of him like parking the car, running across the runway, getting in the plane. Yeah, you send him uh, to human. He's was, awesome. Yeah, less 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 sexy than than that was the story, but um, it was really weird because on the day on the day he his birthday fell on a Monday, so the DMV was closed, which was a little frustrating. But mm. the next day when he got his driver's license, I he pulled away, and I was like, "Oh, he's going to need me for something." And I kind of sat around for an hour, mm. and I sat around for a day. They sat around for a week, and he comes back and forth all the time, but the, he doesn't—he doesn't need me like that anymore. And so it's been an interesting summer because I've been dealing with the whole. Oh, I guess I can go do whatever. I guess I can go play more golf. I guess I could. Uh, so, so the de-stressor thing, uh, or what I do when I'm not doing work, I'm still trying to figure that out because it's a—that's uh, a new frontier for me as of uh, this so, past. So you're May. bugging Anthony more, is what you're saying, and. Uh... Well, he's he's got it. He's got as a result. Is that is that uh, has, it, has it spiked? Is it? No, 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 no. So we'll so we'll see. I don't know. I I enjoy playing golf. Um, you know, I I'm involved in a number of other non for profits, and I sit on boards of some other things. Things that I I donate my time to, and um, I'm a big believer in. You know, I know those things are voluntary, and they're um you know not paid, but I still try to make sure that when I'm doing those things, I'm given my best effort. Um, and so I spend time doing that kind of stuff too. I think that's such an interesting call out there that I saw a post the other day. It was probably from someone that was slightly ill-informed about how people sit on boards and make all this money by just sitting on boards and doing nothing else. And I don't think a lot of people realize that a lot of board members that sit on and eat both commercial for-profit businesses and non-for-profit businesses, they don't get anything for it. It's it's purely out of their enjoyment for the subject matter, enjoyment for the people. Sometimes you do get shares. I will say that if you're on a commercial, sometimes what you get is a load of shares. So you're invested to see it successful. But um, yeah, it's, it's nice to hear someone say, I do this because I want to. I do it because I can and I want to contribute to the mission. 
I don't think it's, enough people it's understand interesting that. because I think there are people that do this, but I, I limit myself to only being on three boards. I'm not paid for any of them in my life. I've only been paid for one. And it was, it was like a minimal, it was a public traded company in, in Finland of all places. And there was a law about you had to pay something. And so it was like a small, small stipend. But I'm on two not-for-profits right now, and I'm on the board of a startup because my dad was involved in it. No pay for that either. I, I do it because I believe in the companies and the people behind them. Uh, what about you? What about you, Brian? Are you making it filthy rich on boards? Or no, the, those those things don't pay. Those things don't pay a nickel. I think what they do pay you in um, is that you get a lot of fulfillment. So, yeah. so I don't just join a board yeah. to join a board, right? I mean, if you're one of these people that likes the Humane Society, if you're one of these people, you know, that mm. likes this, that, or the other, right? You, you, you find things that that create an emotional response for you, right? You go, oh, that's I like that, or I like the group of people that are working on it, or I like the thing that they're working towards, and so, um, you know, I get involved in things that create that emotional response for me. So once I start doing it, the paycheck is, I feel accomplishment right i feel um uh i feel satisfaction i i love helping other people right i like i want to i want to see everybody win right so when everyone else is is winning if there's maybe just a little smidge of something i got between my ears that that's helpful to the group i like sharing that stuff too so um yeah i don't uh, you don't do it for the money but you also as you start to get older you realize ah i have to pick and choose how far i can stretch myself because you can't yes. do that either so and 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 when you're on boards, people expect a lot from you, right? It's not mm. it's volunteer, it's volunteer, but it's like, hey, we got to get stuff done too. So it's not it's not this stuff's not easy. You can't just rest on your laurels. And and what I found is the ones that the one that I had that paid, I actually didn't have to do as much as for the ones that the most of the ones <laughs> yeah. that I do that don't. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially the charity ones. The one, uh, well, let's say not for profit because they're not all charities, right? So. But over time, those ones are the ones that you do at either a labor of love or because the people you're working with, uh, those sorts of things are, are, are what have you. But the other thing that will help is networking. It does, um, you know, and, and the cause that you're working on you, if you really believe in it. So most of mine are cyber causes, um, you know, one at the federal level, one at the Massachusetts state level. But, uh, but you must have been involved in some of Grant's community activities over the years um you know parent organizations he was uh civil air patrol right we, we yep, st st still still is he will uh he will pin on cadet captain next week and then that that leaves him with three ranks to make it through um you you end that at cadet colonel and so he's on track to do that about halfway through his senior year and i don't remember the numbers i'm sure i'm making this up a little bit but i believe that only one percent of civil air control civil air patrol cadets ever achieve the rank of of cadet colonel so he's That's got his awesome. eyes set on it it's um it was interesting right he got involved in that so he could fly but you got to be certain ages for that to happen so we we didn't do a very good job reading the small print on that but i was really interested how much he enjoyed the emergency services aspect of it which they partner with fema <clears throat> they do all post disaster response when when we have floods or hurricanes or even the volcanoes um in Hawaii, they they slap these cameras on these Civil Air Patrol planes, and they go up and they fly, you know, imagery for post disaster, and then they're taking that stuff down and looking at pre and post disaster, comparing the two, so that they can send money or send resources, or send whatever um, to the most affected areas. And so, yeah, he's really, in, he's, in, he's in geospatial. That's another tie yeah, back. Yeah, ah. yeah, it is. <laughs> they, it's funny. Um, there's a gentleman named Scott Kaplan, and he has stood up an entire 
what's called CAP GIS. And so there's a whole program and they're actually kids, right? You can, it's 12 to, 12 to 19, 12 to 20 that you can be in Civil Air Patrol. There are kids who are sitting down at their homes on a PC, opening up um, a platform that's been provided by Esri. And they're literally doing side-by-side comparisons of pre and post disaster. And based off of some criteria, they're literally doing all of the damage assessments from their living room. And they're getting entire cool. areas done in two days now, which is really, really, it's, it's like unheard of. So, and the, and the real, the real big win for that is FEMA knows where they can already start deploying resources, right? Where do we send checks? Where do we send whatever? Because if someone's house has been completely destroyed, well, we're going to know that in 24 to 48 hours because of the work that Civil Air Patrol is, do, is doing. So it's a great organization. Now, this is nice. the same sort of thing we that we do with spectral analysis for finding exoplanets. We, you know, we've done it with analyzing alien signals, those sorts of things. We don't do it in cyber, by the way. We have this signal to noise problem, and we well, could. Everyone's so afraid of what happens if they uh, share their information. We're worried about poisoning and bad guys doing getting in there and being like, just hide this one, you know. But yeah. uh, this, it's amazing when you can tap into a community effort and, and distributed processing with humans is is super cool. Yep. Can I? Uh, yep go to it quickly i wonder if you've heard of this brian so there's a game that's all the rage on tiktok and youtube and called GeoGuessr. speaking of oh you try to figure out where it is you you oh, sent me so, one yeah it's so fun you should it, and the people that are look up the people that are good at it there's the first ever i think this year a global tournament for it so it drops you in the middle of nowhere on google maps and then based on what you can see from where it's dropped you in Google Maps, the 360 view that you get, you have to guess your location. And the closer that you get to your location, the more points you get. So you get within a mile, you get 5,000 points. You get, yep. you know, that 1,000 miles away, you get 150 points. And there's these guys that have spent time studying. And there's a couple of websites you can go to study the information. And they can get it right within a tenth of a second or a second down to at least the country that they're in if not sometimes the region of the country they're in in a tenth of a second uh, many of yeah. them get it to the intersection not that fast but they'll take a, few, a minute or two and they're like oh it's this walmart in this town in and and like this intersection and yeah. so they just give you like this picture and they, you they, they see enough clues and the shadows and what's in the background and off I you go that container somewhere and that sort of thing one of the things that caught me was they learned the different shadow patterns of mm. the map cars that did the mapping. So they know that if you see a certain shadow pattern, that must mean it was taken in 2003 and they only used that type of car in Botswana. And so that means I must be in Botswana because this type of car wasn't used anywhere else in the world. Uh, it's really, really interesting. I think you'd enjoy it, Brian. If you saw, I, I, I pulled that up on my phone, so I'll check it out. But it's it's funny, right? As we're talking about the evolution of tech, there's AI that'll do that for you now too, right? Um, Auntie and I have a buddy of ours, a guy named Leon Worthen, who That's works cool. at a company called Deja Vu AI. You literally can go take a 0.05% of an image and it will tell you the origin of that image, right? So you don't, you know, you don't even have to figure out where you are anymore. Go run something through some supercomputer to have it pop out and go, oh, that's over here. That's over there. It was. I was actually, um, I was at a conference last week called Geo Resolution. They do it at St. Louis. It's a, a joint effort between St. Louis University and the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. And there was a woman who was getting up and she was talking 
um, about um, human trafficking. You know, she was more interested in young children that are being human trafficked for for sex-related stuff. They're starting to use AI to look at images of stuff that are showing up on the internet. Is that a, oh, is that a red roof a hotel? Cool. Is that a because right because hotels start to now you know redo all their hotels and they look the same. And so, can you do you know pattern recognition or pattern matching right from images using AI to then help you narrow down? Because I mean, some of these organizations. Oh, for like, like sure you can. Some wall paint, yeah, 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 or the equivalent of right. Um, sure. They used to be, um, uh, 15 years ago, this, the CISO for Ford was telling me that they could tell with a photograph of the road where you were on any road in America. This was 15 years ago. They said, we sure. don't need GPS. I was like, wow. I mean, that at the time, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, but I mean, for Didn't stuff like that, could you imagine Could you imagine if those advances in technology can help save a kid faster? I mean, like that's mm-hmm. – you're talking real-world scary stuff with people who can't defend themselves and need people to help them. So if we can I mean, use tech to, to narrow that down faster, I think that's awesome. Brian might need saving. Yeah. Did we freeze? We've lost him. I think we could, Brian, you, you, you nope, broke I'm up. I'm back. I'm back. Sorry. <laughs> okay. We, we, we figured out where you were. Uh, I didn't, I didn't move far. I just froze. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to what degree, I just have to ask on the, on the cyber front again, to what degree is cyber now part of what you do? Is it, is it something uh, you know, I, I think I've, I've I've mentioned you to companies, especially when they have to suddenly work with the U.S. government because you really understand that very well. Especially cyber companies, I usually say, "Hey, you got to talk to Brian." Um, is cyber now as big a part of your business as geospatial, or is it still a side? Yeah, I use some, but or is it is it layered into what you do? Is it is it inseparable? I think it's I think it's some of side and some of layered. Right? Um, it's interesting, right? One of the things that we're trying to do is everybody wants to play in this geospatial space. If not for any other reason, then they can see um, the opportunity for financial gain, right? Is there things I can go do? Cyber is something you cannot map to save your soul. Things move. Things aren't where they think think they are. Things tell you they're here and they're not really. People are on the move. So it's so hard that it's it's interesting. There's a lot of activities going on. Like, How do you map? all of your cyber resources, like physically map them. Where are they? Who has them? When do they move? What do I have? You know, um, and that's really, really hard. And so you can see a lot of people that are kind of starting to come out of the woodworks and apply um, geospatial principles to other industries and, and cyber being one of those. Again, they're the only two, in, in my opinion, I may, I might be wrong, but they're the <laughs> only two that cross cut everything. Right. And I think that they're, they're heavily connected, right? Because cyber cares about space and time as well. And so does geospatial. Mm. And if we could solve the space and time problem in cyber, some of the anonymity would be lifted, which is, it's that cloak, it's that veil that makes people get away with things and try things they wouldn't otherwise do. Um, it's It's still the part of international intrigue and conflict, you know, in the dime diplomacy, information warfare, uh, military and economic, it's the part that you can still have plausible deniability. Oh, yeah, I wasn't there. Oh, were you? Um, so if we can lift that veil somehow, if there are tricks in your toolkit, then that gets interesting. Right. The, to me, and maybe my opinion is a little unjust, intelligence in cyber has very few practical roles unless you can tie back to a typically a location. But to a 
You, you mean like say, attribution isn't really worth it? Yeah. Attribution. So before, let's say before the MITRE attack framework and before we could say, here's clearly the tactics and techniques associated with a certain group of threat actors, clearly mm -hmm. articulated. People would argue, well, we could do it before the MITRE attack as well. I didn't see it. So then it's not true. No, I'm kidding. But uh, MITRE attack made it easier to do that. And so if you can map a threat or maybe even predict a threat is coming from a certain group of people, you can then say these are the typical tactics and techniques and use that to ensure your defenses are, are solid against it. Or in the middle of a cyber attack, you actually can use it to say this might be a logical next step they take. So let's look at making sure that we're protected against that, or let's look there for our next part of our investigation. But it's only meaningful if you can typically tie back to a geo, because typically that's when it's it's at the level that it matters is usually nation state operations. And that's how we identify it is by geography, right? It is a threat actor group from X region. And that's when I think- so much easier in cyber. Yeah. What's that? False flags are so much easier to pretend to be through right. ML someone else right and then it's it's again and that makes intelligence useless then if you can just say we look like someone else and you spend all of your energy as your team focused on those methodologies and those tactics techniques and procedures and so while you're over here focusing on that they're over here doing something else well, Jacob, um, I, I think i think it's useless for the most part because it's super expensive to go get to the layer of level of precision you can say hey the latency means in this instance that it really probably is, say, Russia or North Korea. Right. And they could, it could be somebody pretending to be them, but the, but the cost to do that operation is probably not worth it. All that is a useless thing when you, what you're really trying to do is just stop the attack and kick them out. Right, right, right. right. Attribution doesn't matter you're not a country. most of the time. Right. Unless, but again, you're... you're just, like, just like what Brian was saying, where geography has become normal, I think was what Anthony called it, where, look, I remember... He says it's become ordinary. Yeah, well, geography's become ordinary. Where I used to have a stack of maps in my car, and I would stop to get the local one and put it on that dash, uh, or on the hood of the car, and I would look and be like, okay, I gotta look for this street. And then there was the TomTom -tom that actually you paid money for, or the Garmin that, that was sat on your dash, and you, you, know, you had to plug it in. And now it's just in your phone. It's just everywhere. And it's just built into the car, even. Like, the... I don't know if you guys remember this, TomTom Tom and Garmin used to be worth a lot of money as companies for their GPS, right? Yep. Uh, and, and, and I think we, we, Jake, we might get to a point a decade from now, 15 years from now, where the cost to get that intel with an integration with geospatial might make it worthwhile. But, it, you're, but by the way, Brian, you've probably heard me even say this or Jacob say this, attribution is something we just don't care about in cyber because it's not worth the effort for the return. I would argue right. you and I say, we don't care about in cyber, but how much energy and time is that all people do in this industry is talk about well, attribution? Our peers outside of cyber, when you're under attack, you go, who did it? I want them in court. I want them to suffer. And you're <laughs> like, all right, let, let's, let, I don't mean this condescendingly because everybody wants to strike back when they've been hurt. And it's really hard to realize, wait, my job is to heal from this damage, prevent shareholders from ever facing right. it again, minimize that damage and move on. Not to get in the in the hack back retribution space or even even legal space, it's hard for a business person who's never thought about cyber to suddenly go through all those stages of grief, and then be like, okay, let's go just solve this problem. Like I get it, but 
but but in cyber we're like oh god you know we're never going to get the attribution and use it for anything meaningful and but it's amazing how many of these presentations come in when you're under attack from a consulting firm who says oh here's pictures of them and here's their here's their report cards from high school and I actually, in one breach, I had two companies come in and present about two, two different groups of people. I'm like, one of you is either wrong or lying, maybe both, <laughs> right? So, but but may, maybe we're going to face in cyber what Brian saw in geospatial and, and Anthony saw happen over, I guess, 10 years. It was a pretty short span from using maps and, and having to call people to look up things on databases while you're in the field hmm. to it being what Anthony called ordinary. Maybe we're going to have that too. Yeah. What's your take? Do, are Sam and I out of our minds on our take on intelligence? <laughs> you can say I'm out of my mind, man. <laughs> no, right. But I, I think right in the in the cyber world, in the geospatial world, right. Like if I remove the tradecraft side of things and the sciencey side of things, right. Like those mm-hmm. those take a little bit, uh, you know, more time and, and effort to truly understand. But I think everybody can wrap their brain around. Things being, I always joke about this, right? You know, people like, you know, what does our intelligence community do? Like, is that a is that a secret map? Well, no. Like, everyone drives down a street, and everyone knows there's homes. When you know who's in the home, and that they're doing bad things, well, then that starts to become intelligence. But right, the fact that there's a home or a street or like that, none of that's none of that's a big secret. But I think people can wrap their brains around space and time and proximity and like that it just kind of makes sense i think this cyber thing for people it seems so complex right and people go what do i need to know how do i know it what do i learn again not something they teach you in school that's actually a lie grant's taking a, a cybersecurity class this semester which is cool i wish we'd get rid of i'm gonna this will this will hit some people rub well right but this will this will this will hurt some people's feelings right but I would love to get rid of, you know, trig. I mean, I'm sure you need it for something, right? But certain math classes and certain <laughs> science classes and get, let's teach finance, right? Let's teach financial literacy. Let's teach cybersecurity, right? Like there's some other things that I think would serve you better. I can't tell you. And again, we talked about my, uh, my academic excellence. I can't remember anything that I learned in any of those classes ever. And at no point has it served me in my yard, on my roof, in an emergency. It's like, oh, what did I learn in chemistry class? Um, I'm sure there's something you don't mix to kill yourself, but it's written <laughs> on the it's it's written on the bottle, right? So you know, I wish I wish we would do more of those, but I think cyber's starting to become more ordinary too, in the sense that that people understand that there is a lot of power in it, that there is a lot of risk, that there's that you have to take certain precautions to protect yourself and protect your things. And, you, you know, people are learning that they have to, a lot of times through trial and error, right? Something bad happens, like, I'll never do that again. But I think that's the one thing too, is we're all starting to become more aware that our information's out there. We want to protect our privacy. We want, to, want our stuff to be secure, right? Like all those things exist. You know, I went through... um issue with my mom a couple couple months ago where she'd gotten hacked and it was it was pretty crappy right but when people target other people right i told my mom i'm like look man that's why that's why the bank pays hundreds of millions of dollars every year for all the tools and bells and whistles just hand over your problem to the bank when it doesn't make sense right and i think again we normal people and i I put myself in the normal people category which i probably shouldn't 
<laughs> none of that stuff's taught, right? Like, where do you learn it if you're not learning it trial and error? Or if you're learning it off something you go read, and then are you reading things that are authoritative and correct? Uh, I don't know, right? Um, that stuff's not being taught. So, yes, I think it's going to become right. more ordinary over or, over longer periods of time. The more that people get hacked, I mean, when you talk about people stealing someone's life savings, right? Like, that's that's the most aggressive and personal breach humanly possible, right? Where someone's involved and cleans your your bank account out. But there's all these different things where people are seeing the examples now. And I think they want to understand where does cyber fit in? How does it fit in? You know, how do I protect myself? How do I protect my kids? You know, it's crazy when you start talking about stuff that's on the dark web and all kinds of other places. There's so much stuff that's out there that's dangerous, right? And mm-hmm. that can, that can hurt, uh, uh, hurt and harm. Um, I think people are starting to take cyber things more serious, even if they don't fully understand it. That is uh, crucial. I, I, we refer to cyber literacy. I don't know if I agree with you on the trig point, but I agree with you everything else. Uh, <laughs> well, I was talking to my brother about this because his son is actually going through, as I think you know, uh, Simon is going through a, a technical high school where they do a yep. co-op. And it's very pragmatic and he still has the option to go on to university. But part of me thinks some people know early what they want to do and some people really don't. But there are some fields that really need trig and some that probably don't. But there's some underlying new set of core skills in things like critical thinking and things like cyber literacy. It's not just the three R's anymore, which weren't really R's, right? Oh, one's right, a w, right. One's an A. Um, but but that, that we should be rethinking some of those things. It's just really hard to break the tradition there. Um, yeah, but you know what? Uh, I think we also don't have the stop, drop, and roll. Even cyber experts, when they get hacked, sometimes don't know what to do because Poster. it's always a thing that's at one remove or it's a thing I do at work or it's I never thought about it at my home or it's happened to my kids or me or my my husband or wife. It suddenly becomes very personal and, and we haven't really done a, if this happens to you, what do you do? Unfortunately. Or, 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 or you can just be a member of a security breach so many times from having a clearance that you don't care what's out there anymore. Right. Be like, Oh my God, you <laughs> yes, might get actually, you're, like, you're like, you're like, whatever. My stuff's been distributed so many times. It doesn't matter anymore. Some, someone asked me the other day, Hey, I've set up a special site for you to send out your social security number. I'm like, everybody <laughs> has it. Everybody has, yeah. you know, it's, it's in, in 50 breaches, but like, I care about others. Just not sure. lying. Sure. Like, yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, so we're, we're approached an hour of content. Yeah, we have. Uh, but Brian, this has been awesome. Thank you. Uh, um, my big takeaway is that we got to get you out more now because Grant's uh, not around, and, and and you need more martinis and beer. And yeah, I got to go. I got to go find a li- martinis. Got to go find a life now. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Brian. It's been awesome, and and um, all the best to, to 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 Brian and Anthony and everybody else. It's great to have you. Thanks, Thanks guys. I appreciate your time.